0: Chapter 3. Jar Glasses and Yoga Class Hi, I'm Wayland. I'm calling to tell Sebastian how he can get a hold of me. Sebastian's father returned from errands after lunch to hear this unknown, urgent, commanding voice on his answering machine. He weighed the pros and cons of writing the contact information down and informing his son. The unexplained voice sounded tense. First name only. No mention of calling back. No best time to call. He figured his son needed to hear the man's voice in order to recognize the caller, much less evaluate whether or not to return the call. Sebastian's dad wrote a note saying, don't erase this and put it on top of the answering machine, playing it safe. He didn't want his wife to touch the phone before Sebastian did. That voice sounded too familiar, but he couldn't place it. Then he called Sebastian and left a message to return the call. It took a day or so to get him on the landline phone. Hey, what's up, Sebastian said. We got a message for you. There's contact information, but I can't tell who it is. I think you need to listen to it before I erase it, Sebastian's father said. What did it sound like? It didn't sound like a sales call. It didn't sound like work, or anyone I knew. A man sounded like he knew you, and he sounded urgent. Maybe an old friend from school? Sebastian tracked across town after work. What's so important that the message couldn't be delivered by phone? It couldn't be a ghost, so rule out Elodie's last words coming back to haunt him. Maybe somebody died. It always runs in threes. Worrying made him hungry. In an unusual move, he stopped and bought fried chicken for supper for him and his parents, in case the news was too bad to cook anything. I've gotten no news from anyone for years. What makes me think that hearing someone's died is going to keep me from eating now? Sebastian pulled into the drive alongside his father waiting by the garage door. Well, let's go hear it, Sebastian said while he was getting out of his car. Sebastian's red convertible sat in contrast to his family's austere, tan sedan. Glad you made it. I was worried your mother might erase your message if we waited too long. I brought fried chicken. Great. Sebastian left the chicken on the table, then wandered through the house to their old answering machine. The spooky voice waiting for him was obviously a flash from the past. The red light blinked omnisciently. In that moment between knowing and not knowing, Sebastian faced an existential question of whether to retreat. Am I going to hear Elodie's voice from the grave if I hit the play button? Hi, I'm Waylon. I'm calling to tell Sebastian how he can reach me. Waylon's voice emanated from the answering machine. Sebastian exhaled. It was a slip of the cue calling. Then he started to hyperventilate. He broke his pencil lead writing too hard while he copied the message onto a notepad. The voice continued. I hope he's doing okay. "'It's been a long time since I've seen him. "'I'd like to get together sometime to catch up.' "'A pause. "'I'd like to find out more about how Manon is doing, too, if he knows. "'Tell him he can call me at...' And then Waylon's voice trailed off with the magic numbers no one ever knew, the constantly changing private phone numbers, the ambiguous mail drops. "'Yeah, Dad, thanks for saving this for me. "'Where's a pencil? "'There's one by the phone with some paper. "'Are you going to need to keep the recording? "'We hardly use this phone anymore.' I don't think so. Let me get a hold of him, then I'll tell you if it's safe to erase it, Sebastian said. Your mother doesn't know, his father said. Okay, good. We can keep this between you and me. Is this anything I should know about? His father sighed and crossed his arms. I can tell you after I've talked to Waylon, Sebastian said. Right now, let's eat. This can wait until tomorrow. Okay. His father stomped back to the kitchen. I have to double check when I should call them. I think I have to wait until three in the morning here, Sebastian said. Sebastian took a couple of days to collect his thoughts. What would he tell his dad about Waylon? Certainly not that he was the lead guitarist for a slip of the cue. He needed to reveal a minimal amount since he hadn't gotten Waylon on the phone yet. Since Sebastian didn't get anything definitive out of Waylon about privacy from the message on the machine, he figured he could tell his dad what his dad needed to know, or what Sebastian guessed his dad needed to know, quote, good faith, unquote, being what it is and all. What his dad needed to know was who was on the phone and why that voice called. Taking the fifth was not an option, although Sebastian considered it on his return trip to his parents' house. Some things you don't say on the phone. Pulling in the drive, his dad was watering the purple bushes in the yard. Sebastian pulled up and got out slowly. This was not a time for sudden moves. Hey, how's it going with... Sebastian's father didn't finish his sentence waving and pointing instead. Sebastian got the gist that the irrigation system had broken. Sebastian stepped over some purple shrubs in order to stand beside him. I know I was vague about who was on the phone the other day, Sebastian said. You weren't vague. You simply didn't tell me, his father said. Who was it? Believe it or not, he was a guitarist in a band, Sebastian said. Why wouldn't I believe it? What's unbelievable about being a guitarist? He stopped watering to look at his son. All the color had drained from Sebastian's face. He was standing there, looking at his father, motionless. What's the name of the band? The, I can't tell you their name because you haven't signed a confidentiality agreement band. I always call them, quote, the band, unquote, although I shouldn't, since there's a group by that name, Sebastian said. I'm supposed to be concerned about this? You're acting like you're trying to tell me you have cancer, Sebastian's father said. Cancer? I wouldn't worry about telling you that. Why is this worse than cancer? Because, Sebastian said, you hated rock music. Not so much that you couldn't tell me if one of your friends was in a band. Well, yeah, you hated it that much, Sebastian said. He stopped watering and looked directly at his son. You're still calm, so it must not have sunk in yet, Sebastian said. Yeah, but if one of your friends were in a big band, you would mention it eventually, his father said. His father turned off the spigot. No, the bigger the band, the less likely anyone is to mention it, his father nodded. So how big is the band? Big enough for me to never bring it up, Sebastian said. His father stared at him. I take it I don't like the group, then. His father smiled at his own attempt at a joke. I have no reason to think you're going to be civil once you know their name, Sebastian frowned. And this confidentiality agreement is what's keeping you from telling me their name? No, Sebastian said. It's the only legal excuse I have to keep from having to tell you their name. Well, I wish you had told me this before. Sebastian's father waited for his son to reveal more information. From his silence, his father concluded that Sebastian wasn't required to say any more. Meanwhile, Sebastian puzzled over why his father hadn't ordered him off his property yet. Sebastian's dad studied him, trying to read his son's face. He contemplated watering Sebastian, too, since Sebastian told him as much as the plants did. Obviously, his son felt like he had imparted important information. His father had no idea what it was yet. Okay, so I don't like the band, Sebastian's father took a moment to think. Although, honestly, I think you should let me know who the group is before deciding that I don't like them. Honestly, Dad, you know who the group is. You don't like them. Remember, I know who they are. You don't. The only point Sebastian clarified was the fact that he hadn't told his father anything. Your friend being in this band hasn't seemed to affect our lives very much, especially since I don't know who this friend is, much less who the band is, Sebastian's father said. So why the theatrics? Sebastian realized that being an adult was coming into play. Not wanting your kid to listen to a band was apparently very different than not wanting your kid to work for that band. Maybe through the years of Sebastian being in marketing, his father had already come to grips with the fact that his son's life's work was not going to be very holy. The next day, Sebastian continued attempting to return Waylon's call. He wished he'd simply picked up the phone and heard Waylon's voice when he called the first time. Now Sebastian had to steel himself repeatedly to dial the numbers. He had pencil and blank paper to write down anything Waylon might want to say, a crisp, freshly sharpened pencil, no less. What on earth could he possibly want to say? Fear tripped Sebastian out. I'm just going to get his voicemail again. There's no way I can time a call. Breathing deeply, he dialed the number. Hey, Sebastian, you called me back. Waylon picked up on the second ring. Hi, Waylon, of course I called you back. I've always called you back. What was I going to do, sit around and wonder why you wanted to talk to me? Sebastian laughed. "'What's going on? Is everything okay?' "'Okay, everything is fine,' Waylon echoed Sebastian's nervous laughter. "'Couldn't be better. I wanted to touch base with you guys and see how you're doing. You're calling from your parents' house? How are they?' Sebastian wondered if Waylon had programmed his phone with a special ringtone for U.S. phone numbers. That would be one way of sorting international calls. Yet another way the world had changed. "'My parents... No, I'm calling from my cell phone.' Wayland's question surprised Sebastian, having spent too many years keeping secrets. He didn't have enough information to tell if it was safe to reveal them or not. They're fine. They're both still living, thank God. I don't live with them anymore. I've been living across town for a few years now. So is there a better number for me to call? I mean, you can still get a hold of me here, but I'll give you my newer number so you can call it. You are working across town? Yeah, the commute is too far from here, so I moved closer to work. It's in marketing. I'll tell you more about it when I see you. Are you guys going to be around here soon? Is that why you're calling? The tour is not coming by your area. I am. I need to try to catch up with you guys if I can, Waylon said. I haven't talked to Manon in a while. I had a friend die, and it's been taking up most of my time now with the funeral and processing it. Sebastian picked up the pencil beside the phone, but then had second thoughts about keeping anything traceable. You know, I told my father you called. He wondered who was on the answering machine. He was worried. Tell him not to worry. We're not mobsters. At least he knows you're not on drugs by now, Waylon said. Yeah, that was always a concern with weird random phone calls before, Sebastian said. Those memories of being terrified clung to Sebastian's mind. He could still feel the panic rise in his throat. Certain people made him panic, even after a decade. The left side of his head started to ache. So when are you guys going to be in town? Which is how Sebastian ended up at the motel in the early afternoon, sandwiches in hand. They were from the same fast food chain that Sebastian had seen in Manon's refrigerator. Maybe you could find out if there was a connection? Wayland drove up in a nondescript car, alone. Sebastian presumed it was a rental. Hey, looks like I found it. Wayland slammed the car door. Been a long while, Sebastian said, as they embraced for a long moment. Let's go inside. I don't trust being out here. Too exposed. Oh, you didn't have to. I've eaten. Waylon said when he saw the sandwiches on the dresser. It's supper. Don't worry. It's good cold. We can eat it later, Sebastian paused, if we want. How things been going? Waylon sat on the edge of the bed. Well, I'm working in marketing, which is ironic considering what happened, Sebastian said. I don't think it's ironic. You look okay. You look like you've been keeping in shape. Yeah, health-wise, I have no complaints. Sebastian was weirded out by the experience of seeing Waylon again. He had long since written this meeting off. Sebastian watched a ghost sitting on the bed. I never thought I'd see you again. Why not? Boylan shook his head. Well, last time you tried to visit Manon, things did not go as planned. So why would you try it again? Either she's gotten better and can remember more things, or her memory has gotten worse and she will still have no idea who I am. If she doesn't have any idea what happened, I'm home free. I'll just introduce myself, Boylan said. A rock star happens to drop by, Sebastian said. He pulled out the desk chair and sat down. Sure, why not? Okay, but I don't have any idea where Manon's memory is right now, Sebastian said. I've dropped by. It freaks Manon out when I call. She doesn't know who's on the phone, Waylon said. Always presuming the worst, Sebastian said. Well, the worst did happen once, so it could happen again, you know, Waylon said. You know as well as I do that you don't have any idea who attacked her or why, so don't go presuming that you know. Waylon's laughter cut him off. And no one's ever going to find out either, which is the weird part. They both stopped to eat a bite of sandwich, mainly because they needed to keep from talking. Have you changed your mind about what you think happened? Anything new turn up that I should know about? Wayland shook his head to keep from talking with his mouth full. Sebastian continued. Do you think she was getting sick anyway and made it all up? She was in her early 20s, and I read this book about how highly correlated writers are with being bipolar. She had quite the imagination. Please don't start with the bipolar issue. I'm a writer too, remember? I don't want people saying that I made Mannon up, Waylon said. I would never do that, Sebastian fleered a smirk. Only because you've met her. If I started talking about co-writers who have no memory of me, I would be in just as much trouble as she is, Waylon said. Still no idea, then. I'm sure a person did it. It simply wasn't my former wife, Waylon said. But how would Manon know that? Sebastian picked some bits of jalapeno pepper out of his sandwich. She wouldn't. How would anyone know that? She never met my ex-wife. Dave, Waylon waved an arm around the hotel room, still holding the sandwich with the other. Never met my ex-wife. Sebastian eyed the floor, waiting for Waylon's sandwich to fall. Wife finds out, goes on a rampage. Yeah, Waylon said. It does seem plausible, Sebastian said. Especially since there was probably some asshole following Manon around, Waylon said. See, that's harder to prove, because you have to speculate the existence of a person that no one has heard of before or since. Sebastian grimaced. Anyway, Manning wouldn't want you calling anyone an asshole. Neither would Jane. Wayland nodded and ate. Sebastian had started his own personal backlash, so Wayland wasn't sure where Sebastian stood anymore on several issues. Philosophically, Wayland was having a difficult time learning how to love where he was in life right now. When I see Manon, do you want me to tell her how you're doing? Sebastian wiped his hands. Nah, tell her hi, and then I'll be by to see her soon. Wayland ate slower and slower. It's good that you're trying to stick by her. What are you going to tell her if she does know what's going on? Anything she lets me tell her. Probably talk about her and her plans and whatnot, Wayland said. You don't talk about your family then? Sebastian said. Never. She does know things about them. That they exist, to be sure. Not even I know much more about them than that, and I watch the news. Life's a lot easier when you know what you can and you can't let in. The reality is that she understands that she doesn't have to know anything about them. If she starts working with you guys again, you'll have to tell her what's happened over the years. I can't imagine that she'll be too thrilled to know you remarried. That is one of those things I let her bring up, and then I only answer direct questions. Then I change the subject as soon as possible. I don't know if I would talk to you if it were me. We still owe her money, remember? That's interesting. Does she know that? Wayland mulled over their possible discourse as he drove to Mannon's house. Many times when he visited her, he passed himself off as a Christian fundamentalist, passing out pamphlets. Manon tended to try to convert him when she was in a good mood. There was one thing that Sebastian had been wrong about concerning Wayland's arrival. The car was not a rental. The car was his. Wayland never got over either Manon or what had happened to her. He went on with his life, but he kept a house near hers. On occasion, he would drive by. The house was officially in the name of a property management company. He even rented it out to people he knew from time to time. Plus, it was cheaper than a hotel. Part of him had always tried to stay in touch with her with the means he had available. So he knew that Manon still walked and that it would be easier to catch her in the evening. But what would he say to her? There had been so many times when she flat out did not recognize him. Usually he could remind her of things that he knew about her or something they had done together, and it would spark her memory. Those times the wheels in her mind would catch, and they could talk. Other times they wouldn't. When that happened, he would only end up upsetting her. Some days he felt like taking the chance, some days he didn't. Either way, he didn't try it too often, for her sake. He glimpsed Manon walking back up the drive. He parked and ran to catch up with her before she went inside. Do you know how I'm blessed today? Manon turned and looked at him. Hi, Wayland. How have you been blessed today? She smiled directly at him broadly. Wayland took a minute to look at her before he answered. Because you knew my name today. He smiled and kissed her cheek. Believe it or not, I've been watching the videos. She recalled the time period she couldn't identify Wayland, sandwiched in between spans of understanding who he was. I can recognize you now. So let's see, it's been 20 years and you finally broke down and watched a video of us. Waylon spun a web of nervous incredulity. Part of him wondered if a stranger had mentioned the band to her recently. Maybe this was a fluky one-time deal? I told you I never watch anything until it's a classic. It's been twenty years now, so I can watch your show. A couple of years past twenty, more like thirty. Are you feeling better? Yes, she said. Are you? Yeah, I'm fine, Waylon laughed. Come on in. I will prove to you that I have watched your show. You have the videos to prove it. Not only do I have the videos, I am willing to put one of them in the DVD player in front of you. She opened the door wide. He went in to see what he looked like. Thirty years ago. Manon threw herself down on the couch. Waylon settled in a chair. After watching a couple of concert movies, Waylon went to her piano. Waylon was working on a new song idea with, Ayil, the band's lead singer, and wanted to know what Mannon thought of it. It's called Take Me Home. What do you think? Take Me Home? How does it go? Waylon started humming a motif with oohs and aahs thrown in for good measure. Manon saw him turn on his cell phone and thought he was just recording an idea. Actually, he was on speakerphone with Al Yil, while Al Yil softly strummed his guitar overseas. Sure, why not, Mannon paused. It's supposed to be about the past? Yeah, trying to come to grips with the past, Waylon said. He started writing on Mannon's musical notation stationery, flipping papers back and forth. To a yell on the phone, it sounded like Waylon was trying to take out the trash. Hey, hun, did you ever think about getting a new computerized phone? They have video calling now. That way you could practice with us. Waylon said. Man and paused for more than ten seconds. Waylon, I'm broke. Not so bad that I'm sitting on the curb, but not enough to have the latest, greatest gadgets. Mail doesn't work anymore. I thought it was under a buck. It is, Waylon said. But this is as good a reason as any to send you money. Where do you want it sent? Mannon couldn't believe he was talking specifics. Send a paper check to my address. It'll go towards past royalties. Past royalties? Do you want that written on the check? Yeah, at some point we should figure out how much the total is. Until then, just write me a check, Mannon said. You're sure you don't want it to go through your lawyer? Mannon sighed. Write the first one, and I'll start looking for a lawyer. Mannon had no legal representation. For others, she was adamant. For herself, not so good. Maybe we should do the binding arbitration thing? If you die, your family could still sue us for back royalties. Maybe I wouldn't want to stand in front of a jury trying to explain this. But maybe an expert could figure out how much you guys are supposed to pay me? Who would be an expert on royalties anyway? Someone still in show business with no axe to grind. Mannon veered off the topic of money. Speaking of things we ought to do together, Sebastian and his girlfriend Faustine are breaking up, and they're working through a bucket list together. Bucket list? Because the relationship is dying? Yeah, why not, Manon said. I was thinking if they got theirs to work out, maybe we could try it. Waylon stopped playing. He didn't even have a bucket list for himself. Ayel's guitar chords continued to drift faintly into the room. I still can't believe you finally got that Aeolian harp part to work, Mannon said. She remembered life before digital recorders. You guys had to cut and splice it. Hearing the faint guitar, she walked over to Waylon's cell phone. Is this a four-track recorder? Waylon didn't want her talking to Ayil yet. If he pushed her memory too hard, it might stop working. There's an app that works like a four-track recorder on it, but right now I've got Ayil's guitar part playing. Ayil heard them talking about him and stopped. Waylon hovered over his cell phone, looking like he was punching buttons on it. Manna returned to her couch to keep the guys from finding out that she didn't know what an app was, then started watching another video of the band. Waylon said something inaudible to Yell, who started playing again. We had the synthesizer playing over it. It masked where the tape was cut. Waylon didn't want to tell her that the synths were her idea because she didn't like the transition from wind harp to guitar, but he wasn't knocking it. At least she knew who he was today. The Aeolian harp part was creepy for a rock song. You remember we recorded the wind harp at that monument? We were on vacation. The band used the recorded wind harp sample for the vinyl album as well as the live performances. They made a few backup copies, but they had to be careful with it since there was no way of replicating that exact sound. They tried, though. Waylon used a half a dozen linked guitar pedals to replicate most of the tone with his electric guitar. But for unknown reasons, it never sounded quite the same. Waylon and Manon took the chords in the wind-harp sample and elaborated them into a simple melody. Mannon stopped the video and went into the kitchen. After several minutes, she said, "'Come here!' Waylon took yell off speakerphone and then walked into the dimly lit kitchen to view a set of bottles that had been cut into glasses. Magic suffused the room as light shimmered across the glass. Waylon tossed a cell phone in a chair with yell still listening. "'It was jarring my memory,' no pun intended. We had started talking about playing a song by blowing across bottle tops. We were going to have a harmonica go with it because I saw a commercial for cutting your own drinking glasses from glass soda bottles. That commercial stuck in my mind until I had to do something with it. It reminded me of something that happened seven or so years before we wrote the song, which doesn't sound very long at all anymore, but was forever back then. Even I thought that seven years was a long time back then, Waylon said. The song did the weird, creepy, haunting thing all right. I still can't believe that any song that started out with corny commercials could end up with that hauntingly beautiful melody. At the time, it felt like I was trying to tap into a preconscious space, Manon said. Well, it turns out that we did a pretty good job of tapping into that space and turning out something that a lot of other people have used for years to tap into that same space. Unfortunately, Whalen sounded like a magazine interview from time to time. Weird, Manon said. You want to play the glasses? He pointed at the table full of them. As long as you have them out? He picked up a glass beside him. Sure. How much water do you put in each? Don't know. Pour and see how it sounds. In a few minutes, or maybe it was an hour, they had put together the intro to the song using water glasses instead of the Aeolian harp. It still had a weird, eerie, uncontrollable sound. They sat for a minute looking at each other, wondering. They had never tried to recreate the wind harp with anything besides a guitar before, since that's what Waylon used on tour. Waylon, Manon, A yill eavesdropping from the chair, and a bunch of half-filled bottles sat stupefied around Manon's kitchen table. All those years of trying and all they needed were some water glasses. A wished Waylon was recording the sound to use later. You were able to watch the video? Waylon shifted in his chair. Of the song we wrote? He thought twice before asking, watching Manon's reaction. About your suicide attempt? Yes, and it did not make me feel suicidal. Manon realized she needed to reassure him. It's a little scary doing something like that, Waylon said. Ironically, scarier than attempting suicide. Mannon juxtaposed an interview being given over a grave in her mine with a TV camera propped on the tombstone. They both paused, looked at each other, then at the glasses, then back at each other. I wonder if they would sound the same with candles in them, Mannon said. You mean those floating candles? Yeah, they shouldn't sound too different, but they might, Mannon said. She interrupted her own train of thought, sort of. You know, the fundamentalist Christians know where I live. How do they know where you're at, did you tell them? Wayland didn't want to know where this was headed. No, but someone did, Manon's eyes indicated the heavens. When they've been in the neighborhood recently, I've been walking out the door so they catch me. They don't want to knock on the door because of the sign. I'm surprised that you have one of those signs up. Didn't you hate them when you were growing up? Paintballs on the house and vandals in the car drove me to it. I explained that to the fundamentalist Christians as well, so they wouldn't feel too badly. But everyone else can drive by, no trespassing, in red-block letters, even though they had nothing to do with the paintball vandals. It's the problem with broadcasting a message. It goes out to everybody, Mannon said. You ready for your suicide attempt to be broadcast, or is there still a no trespassing sign over it? Waylon went back to the topic Mannon had veered around. I don't want it broadcast. However, I'm not doing my level best to try to avoid it either. She straightened to level with him. That's not an answer, Waylon confided to her. It might not be mentioned any time soon, but one day it will be. What do you do once it's out there? Dealing with it once it happens is not the answer that you're looking for, I take it, Mannon said. That's right. I want to know how you think you're going to react once other people eventually know. It was so long ago, I can't see people as caring anymore. And I'm much older now. I think I'd be viewed more like a depression survivor or something. I can't swear there would have been a big crowd in an uproar about it back then. Wayland tested the waters a little. I'm sure I would have been overwhelmed, but then I get upset about things. He smiled. You guys would have made sure there would have been a protest. You would have had signs up at my funeral saying I shouldn't have done it. They laughed. That might have been good for the video of the song, but... Wayland said. You're willing to go outside and tell everybody that this part of your life is over? You think that you're well enough to do that? Wayland doubted her resolve. Yeah. What about relapses? What are the chances of it happening again? That's an obvious question a reporter might ask. Wayland wanted to know for himself. He didn't think anyone would ask. Those questions might stay in the back of Manon's mind, the pressure from worrying overwhelming her. That's an easier question than what I might do about public opinion when no one in the public even knows me. I finally found a treatment that works for me. No more hit and miss. Then pray that something finally works. I'm sleeping fine. No problems. You always complained about not sleeping before. Sleeping's the first thing that goes. Once that's gone, you're over. Mannon said. You sound like you're confident it's over. Waylon said. I know it's over now. Mannon said. Mannon followed Wayland to his car as he was leaving. No kiss goodbye tonight. I don't know what gods I'm pissing off by trying to see you again. Wayland shook his head, looking outwards into the night while sliding into his car seat. Yeah, I know. I haven't even asked about it yet. You know, Mannon said. Mannon was alluding to her... accident. Wayland looked at her as directly as possible. She was still kicking gravel. Manon, I don't have any idea what happened. If I had any clue, I would tell you. Or I would tell the police. Anybody. His eyes were pleading while he was gripping the steering wheel. He twisted his hand around it like a motorcycle. I'm surprised you haven't given up and let it go, Mannon said. And run into whatever it is in the spirit world that is messing up your life on my own? No way, no thanks, Waylon said. The next day, Waylon tried to sleep on his return flight. He had the morning after blues, never mind the time. In the darkness of sleep, he could process seeing Mannon before he had to go back to pretending nothing ever happened. After he left her house, leaving her the extra sandwiches that Sebastian had brought him, he drove to his nearby house to spend the night. He didn't have anything personal there but toiletries and a change of clothes. He had vintage clothes that, to date, had never appeared in a photograph. He even wrote songs there while he was bored and waiting for his ride. It bugged him that the fundamentalist Christians visited Manon. That was his shtick. If she became friends with the local congregation, they could blow his cover. And of course he didn't want to hear that there was a mysterious spiritual force hanging out by Mannon's house, still waiting to direct traffic her way. Even if the spirits did not seem nefarious yet. Wayland seriously thought that she had been attacked by a demonic spirit, bitter and murderous, while Sebastian harbored the idea it might have been Wayland's former wife, Jane. Wayland hoped that whatever it was didn't keep him from seeing her. Manon was feeling better. She had a lot going for her this time. She has concert films! As long as she didn't throw them out, he could always play one of them and show her the band playing on the video. Maybe next time he would be a fundamentalist Christian who happened to carry old rock videos with him. Waylon doubted Manon's improvements would last, but he would bring a guitar with him next time, just in case. Who knows, maybe she'll do some songwriting. Waylon never knew what to do about Sebastian. Waylon tried to pry Sebastian open like a storage chest that had rusted shut. He knew Sebastian could help him with Manon, but by the same token, Sebastian could turn around and tell Manon anything. There would always be a chance that she would believe whatever Sebastian said, good or bad. Why shouldn't he know? He was there, right? It was absurd to think that he might not want to see Manon. They had been friends for years. Plus, like he told Sebastian, the band still owed her money. When she was well enough, he was going to write her a check for his part of it, at least. Wayland finally fell asleep with a snapshot memory of a previous time. He was playing guitar with Ayil and Mannin. Ayil had turned to her and said something like, "'What's his problem?' They had had a fight he had long since forgotten. Mannon turned to Ayil and said, "'I didn't know what his problem was back when I was his problem.' She didn't realize that she had never stopped being his problem. Mannon phoned Whalen a few days later. "'Did you take my digital recorder?' "'No, you never found it?' Whalen wished she had asked him while he was there. Why in the name of anything did I mention my mother's necklace on the recording? Since I don't have the recording, I wouldn't know, Wayland said. I was hoping it was you. I'm not mad at whoever it was. I think I may even understand why they did it. But it's been ages. You would think they would bring the necklace back eventually. It only had sentimental value to my mother, Manon said. Thanks for accusing me of stealing a necklace for no other reason than it had sentimental value to your mother, Wayland said. "'What should I do? I've asked everyone. No one knows anything, but I swear I did have that recorder. "'Can I presume that you had finished material on this recorder? "'Of course. Why else would I have a fit? "'I wasn't there for the original fit, you know. You weren't speaking to me at the time,' Waylon said. "'What did I do? What did I do that was so wrong? Why did I ever start writing?' Manning cried. "'Don't start with the writing-caused-all-my-problems thing again,' Waylon said, shaking his head. "'Why not?' "'Because you had a motherload of problems before you ever started writing,' Wayland said. "'Writing lets you ask more people for help than you could have otherwise. "'I'm certainly not a contributor to your lifelong misery. "'Besides that weird evil spirit kept stalking her. "'That thing would have attacked her regardless of the line of work she had gone into. "'Why bring it up now?' "'I finally told my mother why her necklace went missing,' man, and said. "'You slipped that into a casual conversation?' Oddly enough, it was easier to say than I thought it would be, Manon said, especially since I pointed out that I thought that whoever it was would have returned the necklace by now. Maybe you should have left well enough alone? Maybe it's been so long no one will care anymore, Manon said. Except your mother, she wants her keepsake back. Wayland paced to muffle his irritation on the phone. Yeah, you'd think someone would leave it on the door or something, Manon said. Wayland paused a long moment before he finished his thought. Manon, have you ever thought a demon might have carried it away? A demon, Mannon said. Yes, he said. You guys never did figure out who knocked me down, did you? Not even amongst yourselves. No, he said. He heard Mannon slam something down. I had hoped you guys had figured it out and didn't tell me because you thought I'd overreact, Manon said. Mannon, I've said it every time we've talked about this. If I knew anything, I would tell you. So you're down to a demon stealing my stuff? Yeah. You don't know what's going on. No, I don't know any more than you do, Wayland said. Then I guess I shouldn't wait around for a demon to bring back my mother's necklace. You should probably think about it like a stolen car. It's probably in the same category by now, Wayland said. Gone but not forgotten, Mannon said. Basically, Wayland said. Mannon heard someone banging on her front door. She almost didn't answer it, but thought it might be a fundamentalist Christian proselytizing in the neighborhood. She found it odd how many times devout Christians would remind her of Wayland. She figured she still hadn't gotten over him. But honestly, why on earth should she? Reflexively, she took the song she had partially written off the piano to hide it. She didn't have a record coming out with anyone under contract. The fact that it didn't matter anymore would not sink into her head. She opened the door to see a delivery truck. There was a delivery man holding a rather large bouquet of long-stemmed red roses dressed in brown work clothes. He was holding out an electronic signature pad for her to sign. She waited until he had left to try to figure out who sent them. She looked at life through funhouse mirrors. She hoped the weird part of her life was over and done with. She looked at the roses and knew she was going to find out for sure one way or the other. She eventually figured out that the signature read Ayil, the lead singer for a slip of the queue. Thought you might like these. Still sorry about that time Waylon sent you roses and you didn't know who they were from. Let me know when it's safe to get together. When would it be safe to get together? Mercifully enough, Ayil's handwritten note had a return address and phone number. Unlike the time Waylon sent her roses with no note. She didn't know who had sent them for five years. For five long, scary years, she hid from a non-existent rabbit admirer. The police had started dealing with stalkers after she graduated from high school. She found out Waylon had sent them when she started complaining on Valentine's Day, and he finally mentioned them. He was a guitarist. Talking to people was not in his contract, so to speak. Manning could remember the incident Ayill had referenced, so it must be safe for them to talk. She didn't care if she got Waylon's wife on the phone, whoever she was. She looked down at the signature and thought for a minute. It had been over twenty years. The band didn't hang out anymore. They worked together. Plus, they were old enough for early retirement. She wouldn't get anyone but Ayill on the phone. It was his private line. Best to decide what to say before she called. What to say? Manon dialed Ayel's number. His greeting sounded upbeat. Are you having a good day today? Yeah, why? Manon wondered how they had managed to skip saying hello. I wanted to know if it was safe to talk to you. I'm calling, so it must be. Manon wasn't trying to be disingenuous. Didn't know if we were putting pressure on you as all. Ayil feared a relapse. Ah, Manon pulled her hair away from her face. She habitually looked down towards her feet when she heard his voice. She didn't realize that she did that until she had to pull her hair out of her eyes in order to talk on the phone. How long had she been doing that? Yeah, there's pressure, but there's going to have to be, isn't there? I don't want you doing this if you're going to be feeling too much pressure, Ayil said. You need to be concerned about your health first. Well, I go outside and everything these days. Manna didn't know how concerned she needed to be about her health. But to her, Ayil's concern seemed to be after the fact. So it seems like going on should be in order. There was a long, awkward silence. Ayel, I don't have anything to say. I'm presuming that you want to write me a check for my part of whatever was left. She wished she had planned out the conversation after all. Well, I do. There was a slow pause. But that's not it. I'm worried about your frame of mind. Manon inwardly breathed a sigh of relief. There was money left over. She never thought that there would be. Oh, good. There was something left after the last tour. "'I've bad news. We did have corporate sponsorship on the last tour, "'so I doubt you'd consider us to be truly independent anymore. "'But we are still in business, if that's what you mean. "'Yes, that's exactly what I mean. "'Because I hate it when you mean the other thing as well. "'You mean the drinking it all up thing. "'Yeah, that thing. "'Do I want to know how close you came? "'Not that close, truthfully. "'I know I give the impression I've got one foot in the grave "'and the other in rehab, but everything's fine.' "'He waited a moment before clarifying. Personally, everything's fine for me. Aside from being wrong about the band going deaf, she was also wrong about how long each of them would stay married. So the way things ended up was not the way she had expected. You're still married, then, Mannin specified his clarification. Yes, I am currently married, he said, and have been for a long time now. Anyone I know or knew? No. Can I talk about it in person? This is hard to do on the phone, he said. Okay, so what do we do now? She hoped he knew. You don't know. He figured she already planned what to say since she habitually scripted conversations. No, I don't know what comes next anymore. She could not have been more truthful. Do you want to try to write together? I don't know how to say this without sounding like I'm coming on to you, but I really miss writing songs with you. How much time do you have right now?